You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Enjoy a weed-free summer at the lake, courtesy of Aquaside. One easy application of Aquaside pellets can eliminate weeds and lake muck. Aquaside has been trusted by hundreds of thousands of lake homeowners since 1960. Neglecting aquatic weeds can hamper recreational activities like swimming and boating. Lake weeds can also provide breeding habitats for insects. Make your lakeshore beautiful this summer with Aquaside. Call 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. What's up, guys? Feedback Friday here. Mackie and Judd, daily Minnesota sports entertainment. And uh, every Friday, we go into the social media comments. If you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, uh, maybe you slid into our DMs on our TikTok account, which has been... uh, inching closer to a 1,000 followers. Wherever you send us feedback, the Score North YouTube channel, we scout out the comments, the questions, we curate, and we pick a handful for us to answer on Fridays here. So you guys drive the show for us on Fridays. Are you guys ready for a little Feedback Friday action here? I'm sure it's all positive, too. That's what I love about Feedback Friday. It is. Nothing negative about us, ever. Actually, these are more – there's definitely one that's negative, but there's Mm -hmm. a couple really good questions in here. We're definitely going to get to three of these. We'll see where, where we land on time. And then Rom-Com Rewind makes oh, its return. Ten Things I Hate About You. One of the great, Such a good iconic one. 90s, not just wait. rom-coms, but just movies, cinematic classics. Yeah. All right. Edwin Dennis says, I don't know, right, I don't know if I can right, – I'm going to say this. I know I can say – is this going to wind up on the radio or no, Dex? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. I – let, okay. me, let me let me timestamp this. You're good. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. Okay. All I'm right. Out of time. Check it, producer. Yeah, the, the, the Ricky. Well, it's not. A, it's not like an. It's not an FCC. I just want to keep it above board for radio. The Ricky Rubio meat riders make me sick. Edwin Dennis says. Never heard that term. <laughs> That's really <laughs> good, Edwin Dennis. Damn. That's creative. I'll give I think you. He got around it. I'll give you the rest here. Dude has done nothing significant in this league. Wolves fans have lost so much touch that we now have low standards. We had Sam Cassell. Rubio is not close to him. The spirit of this comment comes from, I think Doogie has mentioned a few times, hey, you got to be careful. You, you know, they traded Rubio, and he was a mentor to Anthony Edwards. You know, Is Patrick Beverly really an upgrade over Ricky Rubio? Um, and there's a lot of people that have been Ricky Rubio fans both times he's been with the organization that lament whenever he gets traded or sent away. So what what are your thoughts on Edwin's sentiment here that people who are lamenting the loss of Ricky Rubio, um, that they need to pump the brakes and have higher standards? Edwin is a, th- a thousand percent right. And he's not just right on Ricky. He's right on a lot of things in this town as far as our like, oh, no, you can't. He can't be leaving us. You can't trade him. Oh, no. Um, what if I, you trade Miguel Sano? I What's going to happen? Not I, really anything, quite frankly. He'll go play for the Marlins or something. Edwin hits 
uh, a home run with the thing of, you know, we are always, and it's not just for the Wolves, we so often in this town dumb down our standards. Like in Boston, in Philadelphia, do you think they say, oh, man, oh, we lost. We lost our version of Ricky Rubio. Now the Sixers are in a lot of trouble. I'm really sad about that. No, I, I would say that I don't aspire for us to be Philadelphia fans in any way because they're, they're the opposite. We're like, Three minutes after they win a Super Bowl, they want everyone fired and gone, right. and they but ride I, guys into the ground, but, and they're terrible fans. But I aspire to raise our standards a lot, yeah, a lot, and and we could be a lot tougher and a lot more demanding and a lot less willing to accept. That's what we are. That That's the heart of the passive-aggressive thing. It's willing to accept things and be like, how can I get around this the easiest? So I love it. I think it's exactly right. And look, for what we thought we were getting originally, Ricky Rubio is a disappointment. Like in, in some towns, the discussion would, would be, my God, this guy played here twice. He was never really on good team to get off to a great start his first year. And that was about it. And I mean, yeah, he could pass the ball during his prime and it was awesome to watch. But like the conversation should be about the fact that we rue that uh, he didn't come along before the Wolves were a franchise, because that's when point guards like him succeeded. Yeah. So, so I actually think the um, the obituary on Ricky Rubio's time as a Timberwolf both times is really disappointment, not one of well, but we sure liked him. Yeah, I think too when you when you start to lay out his best qualities, you know, you, you know he's a he's a likable guy, he's a great coworker, he's a mentor to some of the younger guys. Um, you know, he sees the court and understands even if he can't do certain things, he sees the court and understands what other people should be doing. All the all of the best qualities of Ricky Rubio are things you would describe for an assistant coach, like two seats sure. down from Chris Finch. Right. Sure. If sure. if it was Ricky Rubio, the assistant coach in a suit. And, and by the way, that's probably in his future at some point. I could see. I don't know if he's a head coach, but I could definitely see him if he wanted to be a coach, mm-hmm. really connecting with guys and. I think point guards tend to have a better feel for the entire game and scheme Absolutely. and whatnot. That's why Flip loved him. Yeah, and I will say, That's like when coaching. when they when they brought him back, I loved the idea. I thought that he did some great work with Donovan Mitchell in Utah and Devin Booker in Phoenix. Of course, those teams, in their minds, to get to the next level, both of those teams said, "All right, we're going to get rid of Rubio and upgrade here. We're going to go. We're going to buy Rubio. We're going to bring Chris Paul in." Right. Correct. Um, so it's like. He helps you, and he brings some value. A lot of it's behind the scenes, but yeah, and he got he got COVID what a year ago, and it kind of kind of wiped out his cardio, and it probably impacted his play to some extent, according to people. That, and you could just watch him; he was just a step slower for sure, and he's never been a fast guy. I think overall, underwhelming as a player in ten years in the league, great as a mentor and a guy in the locker room, and I think he did add value for one season. But if you're asking me, Who's a more valuable player for the 2021-22 Minnesota Timberwolves? I get that it wasn't an even-up swap, but like if it was Ricky Rubio or Patrick Beverly. Mm-hmm. Patrick Beverly. Yeah. Patrick Beverly can shoot. He plays better defense at this stage in his career. I think he brings an edge that the Timberwolves need. Rubio brought some leadership, but at, at the end of the day, I mean, Rubio wasn't the guy that was going to like direct traffic for you with three minutes left in a game. He was hiding in the corner hoping that he didn't get the ball, basically. You know, because yeah, he can't, because he can't knock down shots. Yep. And the other thing I'll say about him too, I don't want to trash him because I, I, he's a good dude, and I think he's he brings value to teams. But when you've been in the league for ten years and your jumper still looks like that, yeah. 
And no, Jason crazy. Kidd couldn't shoot for two or three years. He found it. He found a couple spots on the floor. Like there's seven footers that have found. Gorgie Jang has found spots to <laughs> shoot from three. For God's sakes, you know. Like, how have you not figured out how to shoot from three-point land 10 years into your career? It's kind of annoying. For where he was drafted, he's a disappointment. As a player, he's a disappointment. I can't get around that. I, like, that's I not... Mean, but, but there wasn't, like, anyone else around where he was drafted that, oh, that's right. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, that draft was terrible. <laughs> I can't, I, I mean, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> Just a terrible draft up and down. Nothing to see here uh, yep. at all along. whatsoever. Move along, move it along. Uh, Drewski wants to know who are your top five iconic Minnesota sports media icons. It's 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 Drew. It's Doogie's kid. He's trying it's to get his dad on the list already. <laughs> Drewgie, what's up, man? Good baseball player. Now you want your dad on the top five list? Uh, Sid Hartman, Patrick Royce for sure on mine. Yep. Um, I'm going to I'm going to go to a guy that I never actually um that I never heard call a game and died in the 70s but halsey hall was a legend in this town of like airy carry yeah. note see i went I, I went herb carneal on my list because that's the era that i grew up in but i think halsey hall historically is probably is bigger yes bigger, and, hall, right? and and halsey was a newspaper guy a radio guy he worked games like he was huge so he's got to be on my list, which leaves uh, two spots, which I've got to think about that. I think we need to represent radio and TV to some extent. Mm -hmm. And so I put some, I saw this a couple days ago and put some thought into it. I'm going to go dark star, Mm. just a a sports radio pioneer in this town throughout. Now, Patrick Royce, he was also a sports radio pioneer along with Suture Monday night sports talk going back to the early eighties. And by the way, they still do that show in podcast form every Monday, Monday night sports talk. Mm-hmm. Those guys, forty years later, mm-hmm. so I would I would put Dark Star up for consideration. Um, Mark Rosen had a forty plus year yeah, run I was gonna say, in Rose TV sports. There. He he'd be my yeah he'd be my four um, because he, longevity longevity yeah, popularity. Well, and don't forget too when I was in high school, his his um, stint on KQ in this town was enormous. I, I think the two things that paved the way for sports talk in this town were Pat and Joe for sure. And Rosen on with Bernard, because at that time, Bernard turned that thing into a sports show and it was fantastic. Yeah. And Rosen played off him perfectly. So like, I, I think the, the body of work of radio television for Mark for sure gets him on that list. That's a yeah. good one. So, uh, I don't know. Are we for, I mean, there's, that's a pretty good. I mean, that's, that's a lot of history there. Yeah, that's a pretty good list. Royce, he said, no love for um, no sure love for people. your guy Dick Bramer being on there. He's no. been the Twins TV play-by-play guy I'm for sure I'm forgetting. 30 years. Burp I, guess, I, do, I, guess, I, I put I, Gordon on there before Bramer. I love John Gordon way more than Dick Bramer. Lots of people do, actually. Uh, I, I love put, yeah, John Gordon's. John doesn't I, yeah. make my list. Because if I'm not going to put Herb on my list, I, I feel like Halsey. Oh, 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 my fifth one. See, I to- told you I'd forget. For me, Al Shaver for sure. Okay legendary hockey voice. Um, I would argue maybe the best play-by-play guy that this town has seen, and that's saying a lot, because that's like Kevin Harlan, too, who was fantastic. But Al worked Al worked North Star Road Games alone and, and was fantastic, and that's a tough job. So that's my five. Okay. I like it. Uh, yeah, drop us in the YouTube comments here, Score North YouTube. Drop right, us. Who are your five iconic Jackson. Minnesota sports media talking heads play-by-play guys sorry about your dad 
Next time. <laughs> Uh, this next piece of feedback on this Friday presented by our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. They've been protecting businesses, providing peace of mind and risk management tools for over 100 years. Based in Owatonna, they are supporters of Gophers Athletics, other Minnesota sports teams. You can check out a full list of industries Federated protects at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. All right, Don Dahlberg, he says, this is the official Kirk Cousins hater show. Mm-hmm. Here's the truth. Cousins is one of the most accurate passers in the history of the NFL, and that's proven by statistics. Cousins has been hung out to dry, plain and simple. By whom? By us? I would assume, well, no, I, I would assume no, no, he means by his teammates. team, by by his teammates or by the front office, defense, offensive line, that he's been hung out to dry and hasn't had no. the things around him to properly allow him to succeed. No. That's incorrect. He has he is paid like a he's quarterback. He's had bad offensive lines. He has, but he's also paid like a quarterback who needs to overcome those things, or his payday was a misjudgment by Rick Spielman and company, which is also very possible and likely true. And um, I don't uh, – this goes back to, to the first uh, question that you read or first statement, Phil, about Ricky Rubio. Why in this town are we so eager to defend things instead of trying to look how you win things? Like, we're so eager to rush to the... I mean, do do people think... I, here's a question for you. Do people think if you defend Kirk, that Kirk's like, you know what? I was listening to the um, Mackie and Judd podcast with executive producer Declan Goff. <laughs> I'd like to know who sent them that email about me so I can reach out to him because I'd like to go to Pizza <laughs> Ranch and buy him a big Pizza Ranch meal so we can be best friends. Like, what are you thinking? No, he's he is. Yes, statistically, there are things about Cousins that are great. And that's why we have said how many times, and I'm sick of saying it and people are sick of hearing it, he is a good quarterback. Yeah. Um, but that being said, look at the intangibles, look at other things. You can't just, and you can't just absolve him with his payday by saying, well, they haven't get, you know what they haven't done, Phil, the Minnesota Vikings haven't ignored the salary cap and exceeded it by a hundred million dollars to give Kirk more because it's not possible. I'm just, I'm getting to my wits end when it comes to these defenses that we get and not hearing what we're saying. Number one on my all-time media list from before, Sid Hartman. Didn't agree with a lot of things Sid said, but he had one saying that was a 1,000% correct. He would call people selective listeners. You hear what you want to hear. You don't hear what people are saying. He's right. When it comes to Kirk, people are being selective listeners if they think we hate him. Are we looking for a lot from him? Yes. He's our child who we sent to Harvard, and now he's getting... C pluses, and you're like, average is great at Harvard. That's fantastic. I could send my kid to a community college if I wanted to do that. Well, a couple things here. When they went 13 and three and got smoked in the NFC Championship game, the prevailing thought was okay, if Case Keenum is sort of a one year magical carpet ride quarterback, let's get the next guy in here so that we can not just like fall short of the playoffs, but go further than the NFC Championship game and win. And the reality is, They signed Kirk to take the next step. The team has taken steps backwards since his signing. All right. Um, When people bring up his statistics, and I, we could go through a long laundry list of where he stands historically. 
He has the sixth highest passer rating in NFL history. I think he has the third highest completion percentage in NFL history, right? There's more than just statistics when evaluating a quarterback's influence on winning and maximizing a roster. There's attributes and there's qualities that aren't quantified on a pro football reference or PFF stat page. And so when I look at a list and I see, oh, wow, Kirk Cousins is the sixth best pass rating quarterback in NFL history, and all the other guys around him basically are Hall of Famers and like the teams they play for are 50, 100 games over 500 over the course of time. And Kirk's furthest playoff run is like the second round, and he's exactly 500. I I don't think, man, what an unlucky guy who's just like he's in his early 30s, and for 10 years in the NFL, he's just been stuck and saddled with the worst coaches and teammates and skill position players. Like It's not that he doesn't have deficiencies, but people act like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson have it perfect all the time, and that's why they're successful. Or maybe is it that they're able to overcome the imperfections in certain areas of their rosters to go 12 and 4, to go 11 and 5, to get to the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So just like you can't just look at the stats page and say, well, look at Kirk Cousins is better than Tom Brady. Okay, statistically, you could maybe make some arguments that Kirk Cousins has better this, this, or this. But when it comes to the hidden, um, intangible attributes that also lead to winning games, the interactions with your teammates, the guidance and teaching that you can provide young players, the leadership, the steady hand in moments of crisis, right? When you're down by 10 and there's five minutes left and like you need you need to go right now. Um, he just comes up short in those areas. He just has to. Now, he's still got time left in the screen. He might play for another eight years and so he can learn and get better. But to sit here and say the statistics prove that he's one of the best quarterbacks and he's been let down by everything around him, it's like, People act like every other team is perfect but, and flawless along the offensive line and weapons, and that's not the case. But what's our what is our need? Um, not as a whole, but so many of us that follow Minnesota sports teams. What is our need to absolve? This is what I don't get. What is our Good need? Question. What is our need? We've got this great desire deep down to say, yeah, but I mean, look at what Kirk doesn't have, and it's it, it's never. Miguel Sano. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know. Exactly. That's an, another name I was going to bring up exactly. I mean, when you think about the, these guys, we don't, you know, teams don't draft and and procure talent through the free agent market to say, <laughs> you guys don't get it. This is Rick Spielman here, and I'm looking at the back of Kirk Cousins' football card, and you should see these stats. You should look at these stats. They sign guys to win championships. That's why. And, and, but, Somewhere it, that gets lost in translation, and there is a certain segment of the fan base that thinks that the teams are thinking, oh, my God, look at these stats that this guy's accumulated. This is great to see. But you didn't win much. Oh, we don't care here at the Vikings. We just want stats. That's not how they think. I, I don't get what's so hard about getting people to think along the same lines the teams do. Yeah, you're right. Teams are sitting up there nitpicking a lot of these things, and is it negative I don't know. I think people think if you criticize a player that you're not a fan. And I would argue that if you're a fan who wants your team to win a championship, if you don't hold, I'm not saying you have to be negative and critical of everything, um, but you know, to, to have a critical eye and to, and to put a little pressure on the front offices and ownership 
groups to put together better on-field products, like that's the way that you – fans can have influence. Media yes. can have influence. Pressure has influence. 100%. Ticket buying has influence. But I So I got a note on Twitter a couple of days ago. It's a perfect uh, parallel to what we're talking about here. That's like, you know, Judd, I hear you talk about Justin Jefferson, and you're a big Jefferson stan. I've never seen you be, seen you be so positive. And I tweeted back because he's damn good. He's really good. He's exceptional at what he, he does. And by the way, I watch him practice and like the things he does behind the scenes equally as impressive. Um, so it's not that I'm a stan. It's that I appreciate greatness. But like you don't go to a museum and see a Van Gogh hanging by a Zolgad and be like, oh, this Zolgad's pretty good too, you know. <laughs> what would that, that Zolgad painting it'd be? It'd be finger painting. But, <laughs> it'd be a surly, you know, just one can. It would be a surly. surly. It, it, you know, let me defend the Zolgad here. This is, uh, you don't understand as, you know, you'd be like, oh my God, this Van Gogh is awesome. And that, that painting sucks by Zolgad. So uh, like Justin Jefferson, I'm not a stan. I am an, uh, I appreciate what I perceive to be greatness. Adrian Peterson fumbled way too much and was a one trick pony. Okay. He was that a drove, Hall of Fame caliber at that one but, trick. But, but, and, and he was, and we've always said that, right? But, like, I mean, the, these are things that's, like, some people can't make – they can't separate it. And I don't understand exactly why they can't. Well, I think uh, – I mean, there's been – we just did our – we just did our Minnesota sports sort of Mount Rushmore of sports media icons in this town. I mean, Sid Hartman drove positivity, positivity. Paul Allen for the Vikings drives positivity. That's his style. Yeah. You know, it work, it's worked for 20 years for Paul. So I just think there's a lot of there's just been a lot of conditioning that you got to support and be positive, and I and I agree to a certain extent. Like, let sports be joyful for you as a fan, and and a lot of people are using sports as an escape, and that's awesome. But I don't think you can just blindly follow every player and coach in front office. Uh, I don't think that's being a good fan either. I think there's a middle ground of being joyful and enjoying a product as much as you can, but also if you want your team to achieve ultimate success, fans and media can have some influence. So anyways, that's, that's all we want. We just want championships on this show here on Mackie and Judd. Yeah. Uh, before we get to Romcom Rewind, a quick reminder that on September 11th, the Gophers face Miami of Ohio at the bank. Can't remember the new, it's not TCF Bank Huntington Stadium. Huntington Bank Stadium. Hunting, we'll just call Huntington it the bank. bank. We can still call it the yeah. bank. Yep. And uh, you guys, the listeners and viewers of this show, can hang out with Judd and Declan in a suite at that game and cheers a couple beverages and get a pair of Chill Boys as well. Oh. If, if you want to hang out with these guys, you can enter to win through the Score North app. Score North app, register, enter on listener rewards, and uh, you can hang out with these two knuckleheads for a go for football game. Come join us. I got the Chill Boys on right now. Very I happy. bet you do. Mm-hmm. For the whole little laundry. Watched all of them last night. Ready to go. It's the weekend. All right, Dex. All right. Let's get to the main event here. Rom-com rewind on this Friday. Patrick Verona. I see we're making our visits a weekly ritual. Only so we can have these moments together. Should I uh, hit the lights? Oh, very clever, kangaroo boy. It says here you exposed yourself in the cafeteria. I was joking with the lunch lady. It was a bratwurst. Bratwurst? Aren't we the optimist? Next time, keep it in your pouch. Okay. 
If you thought these guys spent every waking hour of their lives doing manly things like watching sports while yelling at their TVs, shaving with straight razors, and revving their V8 truck engines, well, yeah, think again. It's time for Mackie and Shot to turn in their man cars. This is Rom-Com Rewind. Obviously, this is very manly. Have you seen the unwashed miscreants that go to that school? Where did you come from? Planet Loser? As opposed to Planet... Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> okay, here's how we solve this one. Old rule out. New rule. Bianca can date when she does. But she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. And I'll get to sleep at night. The deep slumber of a father whose daughters aren't out being impregnated. You're so... Charming. Wholesome. Unwelcome? You're not as mean as you think you are, you know that? You're not as badass as you think you are. Ooh, someone still has her panties in a twist. Don't for one minute think that you had any effect whatsoever on my panties. Then what did I have an effect on? Other than my upchuck reflex, nothing. <laughs> Welcome in to Romcom Rewind here on Mackie and Judd. Part of the Mackie and Judd movie review franchise going back about 15, 16 months. It all started with Action Movie Rewind, then over to Sports Movie Rewind and Rom-Com Rewind. And here we are, boys, on a 1999 classic, 10 Things I Hate About You. Here's the summary. Cat Stratford, played by Julia Stiles, mm. is beautiful, smart, and quite abrasive yes. to most of her fellow teens meaning she doesn't attract many boys. Unfortunately for her younger sister, Bianca, house rules say she can't date until Kat has a boyfriend. So strings are pulled to set the dour damsel up for a romance. Soon, Kat crosses paths with handsome new arrival Patrick Verona, played by the late Heath Ledger. Will Kat let her guard down enough to fall for the effortlessly charming Patrick? 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. $30 million budget turned into $60.4 million at the box office. That's all. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it actually wasn't more. I almost feel like this movie, I mean, it's definitely not a failure at the box office because it, it doubled the uh, the budget. Yeah. But I almost feel like this movie has been more popular in the 20 years since yeah, it was probably. in the theaters. It definitely is. Probably. You know, no, it definitely as is. a DVD. You know, Strikes me as a date cult. night film, though, back mm-hmm. in the day. Oh, yeah. Which we'll get to. Heath Ledger, oh Julia Stiles, <laughs> oh Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It launched the career of all three of those actors yeah. and actresses. Yeah. Gabrielle Union was yep. in this movie. She's a backstabber. Larry Miller and uh, Larissa Olenek, who she was. Oh, yeah. This was kind of like the peak for her, but she played Alex Mack Alex on Mack. Nickelodeon for like five years and then rolled right into 10 Things I Hate About You. And so she's kind of been – actually, she was um, she was one of the peripheral characters in Mad Men for a few years as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cosgrove's wife, I want to say. Mm-hmm. So she's had some roles, but this is kind of the peak for her. So, all right, we'll start with Judd Zolgad. First of all, have you had you guys? You guys have seen this movie before? Oh, or yeah. No? Yep. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Classic. It's been it's been a while. It's been probably I think 10 I saw years. It, I think I saw it on cable twenty years ago or something. Yeah, it was it was on a lot. Hey, like, and don't forget too though, small role, the great Allison uh, Janie, oh, I love clip Janie, we yeah. played at the start. Yeah, Allison Janie is one of the great character actor types of Easily. our lifetime. Yeah, she's just fan. She she's never bad. She had like three different scenes in this movie, and all of them were hilarious. Yes, 
She's so, great. Judd Zolget, what was your main takeaway from 10 Things I Hate About You? My main takeaway was this. Because this did launch a lot of careers of, of very successful people. But my main thing is the 10,000-foot view of teen films can do whatever they want as long as they have the following ingredients in the teen film stew, okay? <laughs> yes. A boy or girl who's in love, obviously, if not more than one, all right? Some type of gross misunderstanding, if not more than one, that, that you know, <laughs> oh, my God, no, you're kidding. That's not, oh, yeah. Um, three, a friend who stabs a friend in the back. Now, this is not a huge part of this film, but it still is part of the formula that has to, to take place, and it did. Uh, four, a huge kegger, raging kegger. You yep. can't have a you if you don't have a party. Bogey Lowenstein out of Bogey control at somebody's home. You don't have a film. Uh, a scene where the love struck kid, boy or girl, lies in bed and listens to what will undoubtedly be a part of the soundtrack, probably a, a big part. <laughs> this is genius. That's five and six. A huge prom that in no way probably resembles what a real prom <laughs> looks like. Like you get the best band, like you fly in the band, you rent the best hall. Everybody dresses up like they are absolutely know. to the nines. They are, but that's the key ingredient. I, all of these things. I, I, take you, place. There's I, two I other ingredients I want. Okay, this is this coming. is a brilliant stew. So I've I've sampled your stew here, and it's very good. But I got and a I couple other. Yes. Couple little, little little seasonings here that I want to throw in here. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a nerdy best friend. Yep. That's sort of the, the nerdy best friend is helping you, but they're also like kind of they're not really fully involved. So it's usually a nerdy best friend. Yep. And you're and and you're yep. kind of cool, the main character, but not cool enough to be in the main group, or you're kind of an outcast, and the nerdy mm-hmm. friend is your backbone. Mm-hmm. And then I would say there always has to be a slick, likely rich villainous character yes. in some form right that takes us to eight yep that's eight tenants of of, of a successful teen film yeah yep. you're right i think you've i think you've nailed this and and if it's not a nerd it's a total loser like down on her his or her luck but yep. yes that's that is a huge part yeah uh, i would say my main takeaway from this movie well first of all this i was texting you guys last night this movie the high school was in tacoma Washington, which is about 30 or 40 minutes south of Seattle. But a lot of the scenes, they made it seem like it was all in one neighborhood. The high school was in Tacoma. A lot of the other scenes, including the opening scene in Seattle and the surrounding neighborhoods and was filmed blocks from where I live. So it was it was sort of trippy. I was like the opening scene. I was like, wait, what? That's literally right. Like we literally go to that park all the time, like weekly. Um, so that was kind of trippy, but my main takeaway from this movie is that it's one of the staple movies. If you were born in the mid eighties and you missed out on the first run of all of the pretty and pinks and the breakfast club, like all the eighties, yep, John Hughes era. Yeah. The late nineties, like 97 through 2001 and actually 1999 had a lot of these American pie. Mm -hmm. This is on the Mount Rushmore of staple movies that defined my high school four years. American Pie, Ten Things I Hate About You. I would say She's All That is probably on this with Paul Walker and Freddie Prinze. And then we could fight over somebody that was Save the Last Dance, which is another Julia Stiles movie. Yeah. Great movie. These are all late 90s, early 2000s. There was just a barrage of these. And this one, American Pie is is next level iconic. Yeah. 
That's but it, in the fight for second place, this might be second place. Um, th- this was just – I can't tell you how much influence – Like, and we'll get into some of this stuff, but even the styles of clothes and mm-hmm. the way that people sort of interacted with each other, um, all of this brought me right back to my freshman year at Buffalo High School in 1999. <laughs> and so this is great. I think American Pie 2 was a buddy film. Like, this is a rom-com. The difference is, and what made American Pie so great is, it was written from just basically the boys' perspective. So, yeah, that that's a, that franchise at least started off, it was fantastic. But, yeah, this is a, I can see that. And, and the thing about it, too, is, and I think to a certain point, John Hughes started this. Like, you did have what? Phil, about a 20 plus year period or a 20 year period of just really like these films didn't did not disappoint right like these films for the most part i don't think you watched them and said oh that one absolutely sucked now i'm not saying that there weren't bad ones but i think for the most part they were pretty damn solid and again the formula that we talked about was pretty successful. Did you know that? So there's the William Shakespeare references throughout this movie. Did you know that this movie was actually based on the Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare? Only because I read that yeah. on Wikipedia. It's interesting. Yes, it is. Um, Declan, what was your main takeaway? Oh from my god! Things I hate about you. I love this movie. It's one of my all-time yes, favorite movies. Dude, it's one yes. of my all-time favorite films. Yes. I actually I was kind of worried when we first suggested because I thought you guys were going to shoot it down because it's too good. It's a pretty damn good movie. Like wow. don't get me wrong, there's holes in it, and I got I got things that I want to point out in it as well as as we as we go yeah. down this list. Uh, yeah. But I think this is a phenomenal film. The cast is so good, dude. Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, yeah, Alex Mack. Like I, I mean, eight year old Declan, are you kidding me? I, I had a big big crush on Alex Mack when I was when I was developing feelings for girls when for they realized sure. they didn't have cooties. Um, Gabrielle Union's in this, yeah. Allison Janney plays a great. I kind of forgot. I, it's probably been I don't know. Probably like ten years since I've seen this, and I forgot that that because I was she's in the first scene. I was like, oh my god, that's Allison Janney. I completely forgot yeah. she was in this movie. Um, who's also yeah, just a great character actor, like Judd said. I love this film. The story's great, of course. Uh, not another teen movie, which is a, which is like also started the spoofs of like scary movie and and these hilarious cool. other movies. It's basically like <laughs> this plot is is almost the entire basis of. Of not another teen movie, which also spurs like spurs in those other '90s films that we were just talking about. But I love this movie; it's one of my all-time favorites. It's a great little little story. Big fan of this movie. I want to point out that the director of this movie—I was kind of expecting. Oh man, there's I—I I didn't know who the director was, but this had to have launched some sort of amazing career, right? So Gil Junger is the director. This was the first movie that he ever directed. Uh huh. He was a prominent TV series director starting in the late 80s all the way through the 2000s. But this was pretty much by far the biggest movie he ever directed. Hmm. Black Knight, not The Dark Knight, but Black Knight, If Only, nope. uh, My Fake Fiance, Beauty in the Briefcase. These are all t- like a lot of nope. television. It was mostly television nope. films after this. Just- but uh, But for TV series, so he directed... 21 episodes of Nurses in the early 90s, 12 episodes of Blossom, 30 episodes of Ellen. Um, he directed 13 episodes of According to Jim, 
He directed the pilot episode of Eight Simple Rules with John Ritter. Yep. Kaylee Coco. And he was also a director on 35 episodes of Hope and Faith, which had a four or five year run and a bunch of other shows. So he was a very and, and it looks like he also directed episodes in the Jeff Foxworthy show Living Single. So he uh, he was definitely more of a TV director than anything else. Mm-hmm. All right, Joe, what was your favorite part of this movie? So I'm going to get to a part. I'm going to give you my favorite part, which last week was my least favorite part, because I'm guessing that you and Dex have things directly from the film itself. Um, The soundtrack. Oh, yeah. The soundtrack helped. The soundtrack. I I felt the soundtrack last week didn't help the film. Mm -hmm. I think the soundtrack in this film is enormous. And in fact, if it wasn't as good as it ended up being, I don't know that this film is as good. Because like their use of the soundtrack is perfect. The I, that that genre to me of m- music is outstanding. Yeah, Letters to Cleo is an incredibly underrated band. Like they're, I think they're really good. I thought the soundtrack really. If if there was something that put this film over the top, in my opinion, that's it. Yeah. No, it it, it and there's a little bit of old school, obviously, with the soundtrack, and there's some co- there's some great covers. Cover, yeah, yeah, exactly. but there's some just some like sort of classic '90s feel to the yep to the music. I so I, I'm I'm actually similar in terms of my favorite thing. I, there's a lot of things I like about this movie, but I think my favorite thing about this movie is just all of the '90s things. <laughs> so the music's definitely <laughs> one of them. Man. Yeah. The jeans and sandals look oh, yeah, was dude. huge. Jeans, sandals, and a t-shirt. Sometimes, and you saw you saw Heath Ledger rocking the t-shirt with like an undershirt that's longer than the t-shirt look. That was a huge thing in the late '90s, early 2000s. But I used, dude, I used to rock probably because of this movie. I used to rock jeans and sandals year round for like two <laughs> years in high school, even in, in the winter? winter time. Oh my yeah. god, that's great! Jeans and sandals, it's not man. a bad look. It it is it, now. Yeah, but I, I I don't like that. I Does anyone like that do people still really wear jeans and sandals now? I don't think they no, do. No, no, not not. You were vans, you were like vans or the something. House. Yeah, they'll ever vans are in. Vans are in. But it that's will come back. Thing. It probably will. It like, may. That's it's the type it, of thing that would come back in Minnesota. It's just logistically it's tough for right. most of the year because it's. But if just you get like one snowing. cool kid in the California high school, it starts to do it. Everyone will start to do it. Right. Some other '90s things that really stood out to me, and I'd love your guys' thoughts on these. Creating flyers to spread the word yeah. about a party. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you guys about that. Was that like still a thing? Like, what, would people make flyers to like spread the word oh, yeah. about about parties and other, not just like school functions, because that even happened when I was still in high school. But like flyers to spread the word yes. about a party. Absolutely. Oh, really? See, in, in my in my day, you kept it. You like invited people that you well yeah. wanted at the party, so you sure. didn't exactly. Well, there was that, yeah. But, but yes, like flyers were a big deal. But you weren't like you didn't have text threads. There wasn't right. Facebook yeah. groups. You didn't. Yeah. I mean, email was somewhat prominent by then, and AOL Instant Messenger was definitely a way to communicate with people, so you could do it that way. Mm-hmm. But flyers were a big thing. And then I noticed in a lot of these scenes, but particularly at the concert in that club where where Heath Ledger goes and shows up and he's like, hey, this is my favorite band, too. I was thinking, you know, in today's age, if you go to a concert, everyone's got their phone out, either recording the band or like just scrolling through their phone and texting people. And it was so weird seeing like 150 people inside this club or more. And none of them were staring at phones. They were all just in the moment, being present, listening right. to a band, talking with each other, making out with each other, right? Yep. That's how it used to be. 
It's how we did it. It's crazy. How we, it's I, how we rolled a, in the 80s and 90s. I was at a concert on Monday, and I have a concert even tonight. And I, I've had friends, oh, my God, take video, send them to me. It's like, you know, I don't really do that. I, I like to enjoy what I'm doing and when I'm at the, I'm in the moment of the concert. I don't like have, I can't stand also if it's a packed arena like, or if it's a small, intimate venue like maybe like First Ave. And you're obviously, and this is pre-pandemic, and I haven't experienced this, but when you're elbow to elbow and you have someone with their big phone in front of you as you're like trying to see the stage, it drives me bonkers. Drives me here's insane. The, here's the nuts thing. Um, in the 70s, 80s, into the 90s, if you brought in any device to try and record, they confiscated it because that was bootlegs. Yeah. Right. Like, like I had a friend. It's a camcorder. Who used to have a baseball <laughs> hat that was wired to mm-hmm. record. Like he he had a, a recorder in his what? hat, and he would go to First Ave and record concerts. That's genius. And have the smart. bootleg. But I mean, my point is, if he got caught, he was in big trouble. Yeah. Uh, and now it's just this out of control. Hey, here's video from the concert. Here's the well, song. And I think the difference is, like, if you recorded a concert, let's say in 1990, the only way you were going to use it was to sell it, right? But now it's it's free promotion for a lot of these artists. Yeah. Now, no, they want people recording so that they can spread the word I mean, about how awesome a concert thing, was right? on social media. Well, like if if you had re- recorded it and like taken it home and been like, I love this band, and and now I've got them live in concert. I'll distribute it to friends. I might sell it too. That actually arguably could have helped the band, and it was seen as a huge breach of of a uh, faith because you were making money off the band, and yeah. they should make their own money. So, but isn't it kind of weird? Like I catch myself all the time. I mean, I I spend way too much time looking at screens, and I I'm just trying to be more conscious of it. But it does feel weird sometimes when you're at a place or you're at a like if you're just I'm at a restaurant or whatever, and there's going to be some downtime. I'm just not going to look at my phone. But then you feel weird because like you're looking around, and other people think Mm -hmm. you're looking at them. It's almost weird to not be on your phone now. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know if we're ever going to go back. Um, Declan's probably, I mean, Declan's younger than I am. So you've, you've kind of grown up in the iPhone era, yeah. like as an adult, I grew up in the Nokia era. So my first, fo- I got my first phone in like 2000 and it was one of those little Nokia, yep. just small ones where you could get on the internet, but it was very limited. Oh, yeah. You could look at like sports scores and news and stuff. And there was no images. Like It was like CHI three. <laughs> you could play snake on your phone. T-O-R one. Tetris. But you, but you, we certainly weren't like on our phone. We had them in case we had to call someone. Like you get a hold of people when you're out and about. You weren't texting people then. And I, I remember at the tail end of college, like high school, college is when when we got flip phones and like texting was more prominent. But I guess we would we would go to events and we would just be in the right. moment. And it was great. I mean, I and I will say I'm addicted to my phone. Like I, I am absolutely addicted. I checked yesterday. I used my phone for seven and a half hours. My screen time was seven and a half hours yesterday. I was looking oh, yeah. at my phone. Um, yep. I'm I'm very much addicted to it. But yep. there are moments where yeah, you have to put it away. Just absolutely put it away. Do you think about that? Level. So like you probably sleep for you know seven eight. to eight hours or whatever. You're on your so you're on your phone for a th- and I'm not ripping you, dude, because mine's the same. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same. But you're, and you're on your phone for a third of the of your life. But you're basically. scrolling. Mm-hmm. But we're scrolling them also while watching TV, while doing yeah. other things. Yeah, that's fair. Our attention spans as a society are shot. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't think that th- that's an age thing. Like, oh, I'm 51. My attention span's great. My attention span's shot. Yeah. So, like, I, I think across the, the board, because I see my phone time logged, and it's like, oh, my God. But then I'm like, well, but I'm not really just focusing on my phone. I'm also trying to watch TV. I'm trying to do other things. So, whatever.
All right, Dex, what was your favorite part about this movie? I mean, how do you not just absolutely get in the feels at the poem scene? How do you just not absolutely get hit right in the 100% in the grief bone of the poem scene? Are you going to play this right now? Yep. Okay, I'll withhold my thoughts. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. Ah, How how, how do you not get hit in the feels, man? Dude, can I just say, I know this is kind of a goofy movie and people, it's it's not, it's a movie that people kind of like, oh yeah, they laugh when they hear this movie. That is a phenomenal piece of acting yes. by Julia Stiles. It's a close-up camera shot. There's no cuts. And she's, and she goes from reading it and him being sort of emotional to bawling by the end of it. Like that is, that's just straight up, I don't care if it's a horror movie, a drama, which she's been in all of these. She is a good, I mean, she's had a good career. That's mm-hmm. a great piece of acting straight up in a goofy sort of teen rom-com movie. Bravo. Yeah, it, it is It is a really, really powerful scene. Everyone, it, you might, it might have been when it, you were in high is, school. It is, dude. It might have been as an adult. Everyone has that one person, whether that, and whether that Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger, in, in the, actually ended up being together, post this in this fantasy movie, whatever. Everyone still has the the one person that like kind of has that hold on you, and it's going to yep. exist for the I'll rest of you your what, life. For, it's going to be a thing. These movies too, especially these. If you're born when I was born, and you're going to high school in the late '90s, early 2000s, you felt pressure when you when you watched Ten Things I Hate About You. She's all that like. And all of these movies had grandiose gestures, like the guys are doing these grandiose things. You're you're singing in the stadium and you're whatever it is, right? You felt pressure in real life to do like – sorry about that. My computer's updates here. Um, you felt pressure to like do grandiose things or to like go over the top and show totally. your affection some way, which I did a couple times and bombed horrifically because of these movies in high school. <laughs> and I think John Hughes' film started that, right? Like I, I think the 80s John Hughes things – started the yeah the we're high school kids but we're gonna act like adults and so like there, there'd be these scenes that would be impossible in real life unfortunately to pull off and people like you probably tried yeah so yeah um judd your least favorite part about this movie actually it tie oh, okay so it ties into the poem itself um and it's this the actors and acting was really good julie styles is good um heath is beyond a shadow of a doubt he was great so good um go through the list of actors and it was really well acted no surprise because a lot of those people became huge but here is the problem the writing wasn't as good as the acting was and i'm going to use heath ledger's character patrick as the perfect example and this was my least favorite part because it came down to consistency and plausibility of the characters okay he starts off being supposedly this antisocial, crazy, and like they paint him 
that way. Now it's it's one thing. He's a sociopath. Have, yeah. It's one thing to it's one thing to have the kids talking about him, and and we we find out that a lot of the rumors about Patrick aren't true. But it's another where he's like smoking in class, and at one point yeah. he's got the. He's, he's like lighting a cigarette on the bunts. Is it the exactly. Bunsen burner the or whatever? <laughs> but that's my point. So he's like he's like painted as being this really off the wall crazy guy. Okay, that's cool. That's actually funny. But then like Cameron harnesses him in, gets him to do what he wants, and like by halfway through, he's doing things that that character would never do. Like, like, well, oh, but she's changing him. She's she's char- changing him in a good right, way. Right, but it's too, but it's too much. Like the character can't be. No kid that I knew in high school who was like that just got changed completely that quickly, and probably and, wouldn't and, be as socially smooth she, to be able to do it. No, either. exactly. And and the poem, and while she does a great job, I'm not going to debate that with you guys. The poem comes from this this chick who had been a total hard ass and wouldn't let her guard down. And you know what? I could see her lightening up a bit, changing a little bit, okay? But to be bawling and running out of the class after you've hardened yourself that much, I thought the acting was really good, especially since those kids at the time were pretty young. The writing didn't keep up with it. I'm not saying that the film should have been a majorly different but I think you could have looked at it and been like, okay, let's bring this back just a little bit to make the characters make more sense because the characters did a great job. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you on this front. I, I felt like the plot in general and the entry point to set up all the characters was just a little bit weird and convoluted. So, you know, the, the entire premise and the setup here is that Cameron – so Cameron wants to date this Bianca, mm-hmm. but they need Kat to find a date. And so, you know, what are the ways in which they can – get cat to date someone could they pay someone to date her and like they're going through this but so uh the nerdy friend walks up to the rich kid and, and basically says like hey you should you should pay patrick to date cat so that you can date bianca yeah. and he goes what's in it for you and that's the part that doesn't make sense because he because like what is in it for the nerdy kid in that moment and 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 the nerdy kid's like, I oh, just uh, just say hi to me in the hallways so that I can. And he's like, oh yeah, okay. So so basically, like, cool by association is the way that they. Frame. So being cool by association was the stated motivation, even though the hidden motivation was to get Cameron to date Bianca. It was all it was kind of complicated. And I don't know if I fully understood the plot when I first watched this movie. It was like, wait, why is why is all this happening? Oh, okay. That's like now watching it for like a twentieth time. I finally understand like the full entry point to the plot. So yeah, I but I feel yeah. I think the other thing too is, um, did like at the end when she reads that poem and she starts crying and he feels like, oh my god, all right, I got to make this right. Did he go buy that guitar for her between the time that she read the poem and the end of the school day that day, or had he already planted the guitar in her car? And I mean, because if if dude, if you planted that guitar in her car and then she reads the poem, aren't you sitting there like, oh yes, <laughs> I got her right where I want yeah, her here. This is amazing. It was yeah yeah I I thought the the change in characters because also when the film starts as the geeky kid explains to Cameron, there's like a definite and this is true of high school. Th- there's a class right class system of. The geeks, the cool guys, the blah blah blah, yeah, yeah. and and then and then like without hesitation, they just start to mingle. But the whole start of the film was explaining how they don't 
mingle. And so it was just sort of weird. And I, I thought there were some very easy things that could have been rewritten yeah. with, without a problem to make it make more sense. Cause like, if you hadn't had that start where the cool guys don't, don't even look at those guys. And then the next thing you're trying to, uh, you're basically manipulating them. I got confused by that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think my least favorite part is it's not like something to do with the like a flaw in the movie. My least favorite part is as funny as the dad. What's the dad's name again? Uh, Larry Miller. Larry, Larry Miller. Miller. Comedian. Yeah, he's good. Yep. So great. He was great as the overprotective dad and the one liners that he had. Pregnant suit. Yep. The pregnant. Put it on. Yep. <laughs> All of it. Um, but I think I knew some people in high school that had parents that were way overprotective. And I like my least favorite part was just sort of that. Like I hate it when parents like definitely be protective. You don't want your kids just going rampage in high school, but I can tell you that it rarely ends well when you are that overprotective as a parent in high school. Your kid usually goes bonkers in AWOL once they get to college. I've seen that happen. Oh, yeah. So the no dating until you graduate, yeah, you know, no that, drinking until you it's like those are it, it, it usually means that they're going to do all of the things that you're preventing them from doing in excess once they get to an unchaperoned college campus yeah. and then their life derails. So I think my least favorite part was just like the overprotective and strict parenting of Bianca and Kat's dad. Uh, least favorite part for me was just how Patrick keeps taking the bribe of money throughout the entire film. Like I, I get the first bribe. Hey, this is the whole premise of the plot. This is what we need you to do this. I get that. It was 50 bucks enough for you guys. Uh, to, 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 to ask someone out that I didn't like. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, I could do yeah, that. Yeah, because keep in mind, like, time, yeah. it's it's like it's yeah. someone that you don't like, and it's it's going to be an uncomfortable thing. 50 bucks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's 50 bucks gross, and he laid out the movie costs. So it's probably only like 20 bucks net in 1999. Well, and then he drove it up too, right? Yeah, he did. did. Didn't he say eventually, he eventually 75 did. or something like that? Okay. But I think yeah. they settled on 50. Yeah. I, I didn't enjoy how he just kept taking the bribe because, like, if eventually he would, I think, learned pretty quick. Like, don't get me wrong. Money talks. I, I get that. But, like, he would have learned pretty quickly if this was a chick he wanted to pursue. And he just, like, continues. Like, it, like even an hour in, he's still taking, like, the third bribe from him. And it's just like, well, I and I, it'll dovetail into my least believable part, too, later on. But I just can't stand that if he really liked her, then you wouldn't have to continue to take this bribe. I didn't I, and I, I I didn't like that. Or or is he trying to get is he trying to have his cake and eat it too? Like, oh, this is great. True. I like spending time with this woman and this idiot keeps giving me $100 every time I take her somewhere. Right. right. You know, you sh- he should have let her in on the thing earlier and it wouldn't have blown up into such a big deal. Also, however, toxic relationship between Cat well, and Patrick, just a lot of over the top fighting and, and making a roller, up and a jealousy roller coaster, and a yep. roller coaster of emotions. And the thing about it is, Cat, like Cat, is this. Her heart has been hardened because she slept with this guy in ninth grade, and now she's never going to be used again. And she gets dragged in by possibly the most manipulative guy, who, by the way, at the start of the film, is a complete psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. It's a uh, plus. Like, do we even really know who he is? Like, he, he didn't really explain. All, every time she tried to ask about, tell oh, he me does something eventually. real. Tell me he, something true. But he, he only opened up a little bit. Yeah, he he opened up about the fact he lived with his mom in Australia, mm-hmm. and that like he explains some of the weird stories about him away, but it doesn't explain the start of the film where 
as you said, Phil, he's got a Bunsen burner and cigarette in class. Yeah, there's a lot of I think there's a lot of unwiring to be done there. Uh All right, Joe, what was the least believable thing for you? There were lots of things about this, but I'm going to go with this one. Um, So so Cameron starts at a new school and he is uh, I wouldn't say he's a full fledged geek, but he definitely is new and nervous and he's not a cool kid. Okay, so he starts at a new school, which is difficult in itself. And I get that that you have to explain some of this away pretty quickly to get to the plot line. But then he pretty much starts to manipulate the entire school into doing what he wants through his geeky friend. Um, Again, I don't understand why we had to, like, why couldn't we have picked this up with that kid having been in that school um, previously? And you would just sort of accept that. I think that you're talking about, you're talking about uh, Cameron having Cameron. been in the school? Yes, yes. Cameron I, starts at the school and immediately starts to manipulate the pieces of the puzzle together to get what he wants through his geeky friend. And again, there's classes of people here. But that's what but, but you just answered your own question there. If he had already been in a, in an established lower class of high school friends, there's no way he would be able to to date Bianca. So like him coming in as a new kid, right. And the in the mystery of like who is this? He's a new kid. Right. He's able to jump up because one of the opening scenes is his nerdy friend saying, dude, forget about her. Like she's next level from you. If you've been going to school with her for five years, she would know that you're beneath her and there'd be no chance. But then the nerd, but then the nerd wouldn't have the chance to help pull the strings that he did. I'm I'm just saying that there were a lot of things about this that I couldn't really buy. It it was fine because it's a fun film. So I don't really care, but I'm just saying that there were a lot of things. I mean, I mean, Kat is this complete prude, and she's nasty and mean, and she all of a sudden goes to this party and gets completely sloshed and and then throws up, and she is, like, pass-out drunk. And by the end of the night, when he drives her home, she's, like, totally coherent. She just, like, storms off back into the house without stumbling at all whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's just stuff Must like that. Must have been a long drive. I mean, okay, let's... Well, they were driving from Tacoma to and, Seattle and look, on the map. So. Well, and, and he was totally drunk. <laughs> And when you hey when you uh, when you puke quick you can you can get that booze out out of your system pretty dang quick you you can feel a lot better so actually I, I kind of empathize with with how quickly you can flip the switch like that I don't know that you can do it when you don't drink though which she didn't drink True. and then she's just doing shots True. like if that had been a kegger I'd be like okay I could sort of see that she's doing like shots I I tweeted Phil last night I can't hear hypnotized by Biggie I think the same ever again after when she does a little dance on the on the kitchen table. Forgot about that. That's a that's another great sound. That's the other thing. When when he's like he goes from being this raving lunatic to being like you you might have a concussion. You can't go he's to a sleep. Caretaker. I'm going to yeah, You can't go to sleep. He's he, he's got an accent, which means he has a lot of life experience. Yeah. Um, I think my least believable thing here, as a former band nerd myself, I was never in marching band, but I was in concert band, jazz band, and Dixieland band, and pep band. So, like, I did all of the bands except for marching band. Um, So I don't have exact marching band experience to share with you, but I can tell you there's no way that a high school band would have been able to learn that quickly on the fly and the marching routine for You're Too Good to Be True on the spot on that high school football field. Unless they were already performing it, and he somehow knew that. To get all of that coordinated last second would have been unrealistic to ask of a high school marching band. And so that part bothered me as a former that that scene could have taken place without the marching band but i get that it would have it wouldn't have been well, as over the top perhaps you weren't as good as 
different <laughs> high school kids in marching bands. No, listen, I was a great trumpet player. You know what? Okay? We're, we're I, I maybe carried, carried the trumpet section. You know, if you can't All four play that years song, of high school. <laughs> if you can play that song in high school. Um, Declan, what was your least believable part? Uh, this happens in all these high school teen movies, but I'm under the belief that this movie either started close to, if not the day of the first school day of the year, like the first day of the school year, right? Like at least, or at the very least, like homecoming time, like a month in to the high school year. And then, of course, you know, by the end, it's prom. And prom typically signifies the end of the school year, at least close to it. So this chase between the two, or between the four, really, is like an eight to nine month thing that happens over 90 minutes. And again, I think you would have been able to know... Not like in a day or in a week, but you would have been able to know pretty quickly if this relationship was going to be able to form. And I always think it's hilarious how movies basically accelerate an entire eight-month school timeline and condense it down into a 90-minute film. That's a great point. And yes. I always, like, my mind always gets blown. But like, wait a minute, it's prom? Wasn't it the first day of school just like an hour ago in this movie? What the hell? Like, how did we get so, yeah. how, how do we move across the timeline so damn quickly here? It's because, like, you're so enthralled with the characters and whatnot, and I know it's, it's everything's hyperbolized, but I always, the least believable part for me is how quickly movies run through a high school timeline in literally 90 minutes. Also, if, if this whole thing lasted, like, eight months, how much money did Patrick make from, is it Joey, whatever, yeah, the, the Joey. rich kid? Yeah. I mean, how many times did that kid hand over a 50 or or $100 bill throughout the course care, of an eight-month school year? He was carrying those bills every day to school, too. Just got that wad of cash. I would have robbed him, man. That modeling. God. Honorable mention for least believable, I would say uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Cameron, learning French quickly enough to tutor Bianca, who clearly knew more French than he did by the end of the movie. Yeah, and Bianca. He He learned French to tutor her in an instant, and then yes. by the end, she was like speaking full French. She was like berating him in French, in and he French, had no idea what she French, was French, which, you know what? That happened to Penild all the time. All the girls <laughs> I knew, we'd go back and forth in French. Yep. Uh, some production notes here, just a couple production notes. So Josh Hartnett and Ashton Kutcher were in the running to play Heath Ledger's character, Patrick. Hmm. I think those would have that been... Sounds... Josh Hartnett would not have worked in that role. Ashton Kutcher would have worked. Yeah. What do you... I think, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I, think he, I think he would have been funny. Yeah. And then Katie Holmes was considered for the role of Cat. And no. Kate Hudson was of offered the role, but her mom, Goldie Hawn, didn't like the script, so she forced her to pass on the role. And then three years later, she did How'd Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Would Kate Hudson have been that good playing that role of Cat, though? No. Like, I like she her a lot. Like she would have been maybe, maybe as Bianca, maybe. Yeah. 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 Cat. She'd be a good Bianca. I don't know if she'd be a good Cat. Who, who was the first name? Before uh, Katie, Katie Holmes. Holmes. No. No. Not a big fan. Yeah, me either. It's just stick to Dawson's. Go with Nev. Yeah. Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell. All right. <laughs> Scream's one of them. I love Scream. All right. We're on the definitive relationship rankings here. So we're looking for chemistry between the two characters. And we're going to, and I, I, unless you guys call me off here, it's Patrick and Kat, right? Yeah. It's not Cameron and Bianca. Yeah. Let's, let's just Kat go with Patrick and Kat. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. So Hitch and Sarah from Hitch are the top-rated chemistry couple so far in Rom-Com Rewind. For us, 8.8 out of 10. Joe Fox and Kathleen Kelly from You've Got Mail in 8.3. Benjamin Barry and Andy Anderson from How to Lose a Guy is in 10 Days, also in 8.3. 
at the bottom, the least amount of chemistry was actually uh, Michael and Jules from My Best Friend's Wedding. That's a 2.7. And Kirk and Molly from She's Out of My League is a 3. So on a 1 through 10 scale, how would you rate the chemistry between Patrick and Kat? Okay, I think both of these people are good actors, but I'm going to give them a four, and here's why. What? The roller coaster nature and the up and down and like the and like the fights they create uh, that I don't get at times. Wow. Dude. Uh, and I did. I actually don't. I will say this. I don't think Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger had great chemistry. Like it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of spark there that I saw. Uh, they're, they're both really good at what they do, hmm. or in, in Heath's case, unfortunately, he's dead. He was good at what he did, but I'm going to give him a four. I was not a huge fan. I like the film. It's a fun film. It's a quick watch. So this is no this is no uh, indictment on the film itself, but I didn't think it was that great. All righty. So pouring some cold water on the but main here, character. You can also at the same time, though, be- just because they aren't hitting it off, not have the great chemistry. They have, they have clear chemistry. They're both kind of the yeah. same person. Yeah, I didn't really see it. Oh, I thought they were two people acting at each other as opposed to they they could be a couple. No, yeah, I I definitely saw. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah, so, no, it's yeah. just your opinion, man. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's just my opinion. You are free to disagree. I I think they have a ton of chemistry together, and it's because they are so alike. They're both kind of they're both play the bad boy, bad girl persona. I'm too school for cool. Um, you're too good. I'm too, way too good for you. You're like I'm smarter than you. I can outsmart you. I'm more clever and more witty than you are. I actually think the chemistry is pretty legit. I, I it's not perfect. It's not ten, but I would say it's a solid eight. I think it's an eight out of ten. I'm with Dex. I gave it an eight. I think I think the fact that they're able to the ups and the downs are part of the of the tango here. And I just I I, I loved it. I thought. I thought they did an amazing job. I think at the end it really sealed it for me. The the crying scene, reading the ten things I hate about you, was great. So with that, uh, with two eights and a four, we're going to divide that by three. That makes it a six point seven, tied with Ben and Lindsay from Fever Pitch, which was also a six point seven, and just behind Jack and Lucy yeah, from While You Were Sleeping, which was like a seven. Yeah. All right. The entertainment value of the movie as a whole, one through ten. We'll start with Judd. I will give it a seven. I thought it was good. I, I thought it was it. The writing brings it down for me a little bit. Uh, the acting brings it up. So I think a seven is a fair place to land for me. Dex. I love this movie. It's a 10 for me. It's a 10 yeah. out of 10 in terms of the pure entertainment value, pure entertainment <laughs> value. It is a 10 for me. It is a perfect score just with hitch. It is a 10 out of 10. I like both these movies wow. for much different reasons, but I think in terms of the entertainment value, I'm thoroughly entertained. I will gladly rewatch this film numerous times and times again. So it's a 10 for me. I agree. Yes! Yes! It's a perfect 10. I, I'm bringing def- everything down this, just a little bit. That's this good. movie defined high school for my era. <laughs> Uh, this, this and American pie. And I mean, there's a, there's a group of these movies, but like this was right at the spearhead of these movies and it's a 10 man. Like it is watching it again last night too. I was kind of expecting it to just not live up to the way I thought about it. I might've liked it more last night than I did 20 years ago. So this is just an iconic late nineties 
teeny high school. I was twenty nine when this film came out. I liked it, but not that much, dude. Well, this this movie is sort of the equivalent of if you grew up in Judd's era or the seventies and you went to high school in the eighties. The way that the, the the people in that era talk about Breakfast Club or candles, Pretty in Pink, Pink or Sixteen yeah. and Candles, like this is that for our mm-hmm. era. It's one of those movies. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a nine, which is tied now for ten things uh, for, uh, with Hitch, I should say, for the most popular and oh, best rom com we have reviewed. So damn good. Point. So there you have it. All right, let's. I think we should keep the rom com train rolling here. All this right, has dude. got me feeling pretty good. So I'm going to give you guys. I mean, if you want, we could do She's All That next, but I'll get that's because that's right in this era, too. We could just keep going down this path. Uh, but I'll give you guys a few other options. Okay. Coyote Ugly. Oh, God, no. 50 First well, Dates. It'd be fun. Parker Pear She's All That. And I'm, you know what? I'm going to put Crazy Stupid Love on here. I know it's a, we're all going to think it's a good movie, but there's it's enough, good, fo- but there's okay. enough fodder okay. in that movie for us to. I have never, I don't think I've seen, and I've always meant to watch 50 First Dates. Let's do it. Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Yep. I like, I mean, She's All That would be almost the exact same same thing we just did. Like, I like, I like She's All That, and I would like to review it at some point, but I'm I'm cool with 50 First Dates. I'm not a huge, I've I've only seen it once, and I wasn't a huge fan. Oh, it might not be that good. I have no idea. I I just meant to watch it. And Coyote Ugly could be like so incredibly bad, it actually might be awesome for us to do as well. Mm -hmm. It would, yeah. John, John Goodman in that movie. So 51st dates runtime. I mean, 50, that's a lot of dates, so the runtime might be long. 99-minute uh, runtime there, so hour and 39 minutes. That's not bad. Not too bad. Hold on, 50, so hold on. i got to write this down. 51st dates. Drew Barrymore, definitely an acquired taste. Yes, dude. We can talk, we can, we can talk about that. Oh, my God. We can I actually talk about that. <laughs> I actually like her in most stuff, but she's, she could, I think she rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah. So there it is. Rom com awesome. rewind, part of the Mackie and Joe. Glad that we could go back to your childhood. Both of your yeah. childhood. Oh, so much fun, good. man. Well, we should honestly, we should we should include so some of those eighties ones. So like sixteen candles mm-hmm. and uh what's the other one? Pretty in pink. Pretty in Pretty pink. pink. Breakfast Club. Um, Breakfast Club's not really a rom com though. Yeah, I think, no, I think no, sixteen that's... candles and pretty in pink are actually closer to rom coms because there's like a Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a different Breakfast genre. Breakfast Club of, would probably fall in the same in the same bin as Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. So good we'll film. throw, I mean, we'll throw a couple film. of those '80s ones in the mix there. All right, dudes, good stuff. We'll uh, we'll regroup next week here Shout out on to Seattle. Mackie and Judd. Real world, real world got got a a brief. <laughs> yeah, they did. Real world Seattle from the late '90s somewhere. He's watching it. Yep. All right, we'll see you guys later, Mackie All and Judd. Right. It's off. Okay, the whole thing's off. What are you talking about? She never wanted me. She wanted Joey the whole time. Cameron, do you like the girl? Yeah. Yeah, and is she worth all this trouble? <laughs> well, I thought she was, but, you know, well, I... Well, she is or she isn't. See, first of all, Joey is not half the man you are. Secondly, don't let anyone ever make you feel like you don't deserve what you want. Go for it. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.